Thank you, Brian. Well, uh, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. Uh, let me ask you to be thinking about uh, a question, and, um, and later on, uh, our roving reporter, uh, Brian, will head into the uh, congregation, and if you would like to share uh, with others, feel free to, and if you don't, we'll, uh, we'll just keep moving along. But here's the question. Give an example of a time when you have seen the virtue of humility displayed in someone's life. Okay, just be thinking about that. Just a short answer uh, if, you, if you do want to share one uh, uh, with the group today, but give an example of a time when you've seen the virtue of humility displayed in someone's life. Well, uh, like many of you, uh, I have one of these little devices here. Uh, this one is called the uh, Echo Amazon, or Amazon Echo, excuse me, uh, because it's one of the smaller ones. And uh, we saw a fictitious version last week with the uh, Father's Day uh, Echo. But actually, they're pretty handy little devices. I mean, anybody in the room have one other than anybody? Yeah, okay, a few people do. Okay, not many. Um, but they are wonderful in what they can do uh, like, for example, I don't have this plugged in and connected to the church Wi-Fi, or I, or I would show you, but you, I could say, you know, uh, what's the weather? And it would say hot and just crazy humid or something like that. Or it would give me the latest uh, scores uh, of baseball, football, or whatever. It will tell me a joke. If I say, hey, uh, tell me a joke, it'll tell me a joke. Or uh, it will be glad to order anything it, you want to order off of uh, Amazon. It'll go right there and order it for you. It'll even suggest a few things if you haven't thought about buying anything lately. But the thing I use it for the most is uh, when I am in the kitchen uh, and cooking, I, I uh, listen to uh, different songs. And particularly, I like to listen to songs uh, from the 70s, because that's when I was in high school. I graduated in 80, and it will just play all this incredible playlist from the 1970s. And so in my view, uh, Echo is a really good name for this device, because if you think about it, and if you, if you just uh, take a moment and think about your own personal journey, uh, often the songs that uh, we listen to in high school and in college, they actually echo throughout the rest of our lives. They actually form our life playlist, and we hear them over and over and over. Echoes from the past have a way of visiting us in the future. And today we continue our series, Echoes from Exodus, and we're taking a look at how God redeemed and how God liberated his people, the Israelites, from oppression and slavery by the Egyptians. And in this grand story of Exodus, we hear echoes of God's redemptive purposes most fully fulfilled, most fulfilled and completed in Jesus. And just as the events in Exodus shape the identity and the stories of the people of Israel, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus shapes our stories and our identity. This is, Jesus is our grand exodus. Jesus is our grand deliverance. And as we navigate this summer series, my hope and prayer is that we will allow these echoes of the way that God worked in the past through his people, uh, the Israelites, that he will use them to draw us closer to his side and stronger in our faith. Now, last week we explored the extraordinary birth story of Moses, and we discovered patterns of how God worked in Exodus, and we began to see that they really uh, started echoing all throughout Scripture. 
And they reverberated, and they're, they're intended to, to echo throughout Scripture, most fully fulfilled in Jesus, and then in our lives today. And as we continue this series, what I want us to look at is this pattern in Scripture of being emptied and then filled. Of being emptied and then filled. That's why I've titled this message today, Downward Mobility. In other words, being emptied, but yet filled which we could also call the spiritual grace and attitude of humility. The spiritual grace and attitude of humility. We continue our series in Exodus chapter 2. We'll start with verse 11. Let's read the text together. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the trough to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he, Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. You know, this guy's got something in mind. He's going to marry off a daughter here, which is what happens next. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Have you ever watched a show on DVR and fast-forward most of the way? As the text unfolds, that's exactly what it looks like with the writer of Exodus. It looks like he's just fast-forwarding the story of Moses real quick. Our text last week ended with Moses being nursed by his mother, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and nursed by his mother. And then all of a sudden, we have this episode. Peter Enns wrote, In just the space of a few verses, Israel's deliverer, Moses, goes from privileged status in Pharaoh's house to fugitive to virtual exile in a foreign land. He takes on a new occupation as a shepherd, or at least temporarily, got married, had a baby. He went from the palace to somewhat a peasant parent. That's a serious case of downward mobility. You know, in our culture, we tend to gravitate toward the success stories, don't we? We tend to gravitate toward the upwardly mobile stories from rags to riches, we don't talk much about the richest to rags stories. The star athlete who all of a sudden can't play anymore. The business leader who makes a string of bad decisions and loses the company. The once unbreakable marriage that falls apart. The extended family tie 
that becomes frayed. Oh, to be sure, we find these stories intriguing at first, sort of like people who rubberneck an, an accident on 95, but then we move on. We lose interest. So wouldn't it be just like God to do the opposite? Wouldn't it be like God to actually move in and take someone as they have been humbled and actually begin working with them and working his grand purpose in their life? Downward mobility. James, the little brother of Jesus, wrote, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And throughout Scripture, we see God constantly working in the lives of people when they have been humbled or when they are in a humble state. Abram left everything he knew about his father's household, his father's country, and he went to an unknown place. He went in humility. Joseph was the youngest brother, and he was sold into slavery by his older brothers, and then God used him in a powerful way. Esther was orphaned and raised by her uncle after her parents' death. What a humble place. David was the youngest of Jesse's sons when he was anointed to be the future king of Israel. What a humble place. The widow woman who gave two coins was lifted up forever for us to remember as an act of generosity. What a humble place. The simple Samaritan woman at the well became an evangelist as she went into the village. What a humble beginning. The disciples were a ragtag band of brothers who went on to change the world. What a humble beginning. And thus not forget Jesus. Born to peasant parents who was a refugee who was yet our Redeemer. What a humble beginning. In that great passage that Brian read for us, says he emptied himself, in other words, made himself nothing and became a servant. God gives grace to the humble. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I asked Brian to read that passage from Philippians so that we could hear the echo of what it means to be humbled, emptied, and then filled. And this echo that reverberates, reverberates through the pages of Scripture and hopefully into our lives today by the grace of God. And one of the things that we'll see is that God has this incredible movement in the life of His servants. The movement of being emptied, in other words, poured out, then empowered, lifted up, and then exalted, excuse me, empowered, filled up, and then exalted, lifted up. Let me say that again. Emptied, poured out, empowered, filled up, and then exalted, lifted up. I'll spend most of my time on emptied this morning. Moses saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave, and he took matters in his own hands. He went down and he tried to play the peacemaker. He tried to, to break up the fight. And you heard the story when, when the one uh, Hebrew slave recognized Moses and said, you know, what are you doing? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moses was found out in his sin. And he tried to cover it up literally in the sand. But he was found out. And then he ran for his life. He left the pleasures of the palace and now, in, in the words of the text, became a foreigner in a foreign land. That's downward, isn't it? And not only that, 
you'll notice, and it's a great thing to take note of because it's going to happen over and over and over in this series, is even at that very beginning when, when Moses was trying to be a peacemaker among two Hebrew slaves, right? That was the first time his leadership was rejected. And over and over and over in Exodus, we're going to see Moses' leadership rejected by his own people. That's downward mobility. Do you hear the echo in the life of Jesus? He left the splendor and the magnificence of the palace of heaven to be born to peasant parents and lived a very humble life. One scholar wrote, my paraphrase here, many of us long for the spotlight, and he's referring to to preachers and teachers here, and yet follow a Christ who hid from the crowds often. We're students who thirst for knowledge and love our degrees, but we serve a Christ of lowly birth without any formal education. We focus a great deal on our homes with joy and a measure of pride, yet we serve a Christ who had nowhere to lay his head. And let's add, he was rejected by his own people. He was arrested on trumped-up charges. He was mocked. He was beaten nearly to death. And then he was executed in public for all to see. That's downward mobility. We're told by Jesus that unless we are humble, unless we humble ourselves, we will not be able to participate in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Jesus tells us unless we humble ourselves, remember he said, unless you humble yourself and come to me like a little child, you will not taste the kingdom. Here's one for your notes if you want to take notes. Humility is not a feature of Christianity. It's a prerequisite. It's not a feature. It's not an add-on. It's a requirement to falling into the relationship or or stepping into the relationship of Jesus. In the story of Moses, for example, he had to come to grips with his sin. Being thoroughly human, he tried to minimize it and cover it up. But he had to deal with it. Being a disciple, being a follower, being a Christian, however you want to label it, starts with coming to grips with our sin. It's facing it. And realizing that we can't handle it on our own. And we need help. We need to be rescued. You know, there's nothing more humbling than opening your hands and saying, I need help. I need to be rescued. It's to turn to Jesus for our salvation and ask for His mercy and His forgiveness. To confess and recognize our sin is the first step of humility. We admit that we're wrong before God. How many in this room enjoy admitting they're wrong? It takes grace, doesn't it? It takes the power of God. Now some may think, wow, Christianity is a religion that requires humility. It must strip you of your self-worth. Actually, it's just the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. Our culture of striving and competition and, and a hyper-focus on success is, at best, is a dehumanizing narrative. Tim Keller once said, if your God is money, there will always be somebody wealthier. If your God is beauty, there will always be somebody prettier. If your God is power, there will always some, be somebody more powerful. If your God is always being right, there will always be somebody with a better idea and a better way. Comparison kills. 
If you think that your way to self-confidence and worth is by striving and competition and achievement the way our world defines it, you will die a thousand deaths before you draw your last breath. But as we see, when we recognize our need for salvation, when we recognize our need for mercy and forgiveness, and when we confront the cross of Christ, we see how deeply and how incredibly we are loved. When we see the sacrifice of our Lord on the cross who humbled himself, as that great Philippians passage said, and died even the death on the cross, when we see how much he loves us, that's what gives us our worth. And that's what drives our confidence. It starts with humility. As John wrote in 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And that is what we are. But it starts with humility and recognizing our need. Have you ever met someone who couldn't recognize their need for help? It's kind of like the old, remember the old stereotype of men before a GPS and how we just had this, this almost this, this incredible resistance to asking for directions if we're lost. You remember that? I, I guess it's kind of not a thing anymore with GPS, um, just not wanting to ask. But you know, it reminds me of an old story I heard about a, a husband and a wife uh, here in Virginia who were uh, driving toward uh, the intended to go to the beach for uh, a nice day at the beach. And as they were driving and driving and driving, the wife said, honey, we're going the wrong direction. The mountains, there's the mountains. And she said, we're going the wrong way. And he said, but yeah, we're making great time though. <laughs> but I'm being, see, Echo told me a bad joke there. Um, I'm kidding, I didn't get that from Echo. I don't know where I got that. But it's only by the hand of God, the power and the love of God at work in our lives that allows us to be humble. That even when we're not keeping up, if you will, with how the world sees things, even when we're not on that rat race, right, to, and are climbing the ladder and everything, even when we refuse to get locked into that whole competition and striving, when we recognize the love of God, we say, you know what, that's what I need. That's what I need most in my life. So what does humility look like in everyday life? Uh, Pastor Brian, uh, our roving reporter, I asked you the question, we'll put it up there again. Give an example of a time when you've seen the virtue of humility displayed in someone's life. Does anybody have anything they want to share? Ken? In about 1980, I was defending a congressman, and I hadn't lost many cases in a while. And the verdict came in about two hours after the jury went out. And the press asked me when I came to court, what do you think the verdict will be? And I said, well, I've never lost a case when they deliberated less than three hours, so we've got to have won this case. And the jury came back guilty on everything. And the next day in the paper, the reporter was a mean enough person to quote me for all my boasting, and I was totally humiliated. Well, that's an example of it, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's being humble from the outside in, isn't it? Yeah. 
How about somebody else see somebody else see humility displayed in somebody's life? Well, I think we've seen one here at downtown or Old Town uh, Community Church the last several years with Jim and Jan Burns. Yeah. Because they had, a, you know, they could come in and take what they wanted from the church, but they gave so much to the church the whole time they were here. Yeah. And in the most self-effacing way. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's a great example. Um, Jim and Jan Burns, uh, for those of you who are guests or, or, or who've come in the last year or so, uh, they were with us for about five or six years, and uh, boy, just just served incredibly the the church family, uh, and in in many different ways. So, well, uh, seeing no other hands, um, humility played out. You know, as Ken shared, sometimes we're humbled from the outside, and then by God's grace, we step toward humility by choice. Uh, as God works in our lives. But sometimes humility looks like admitting you're wrong and asking for forgiveness, not always needing to be right or get your way. Or how about this one? Let somebody else at work get the credit, even though you might be due a little bit. That, that's humility. Or how about this one? It, it might seem subtle, but listening to someone's story without inserting yours. That, that, that's humility. It takes... Humility to listen. Celebrating the success of a colleague or parenthood gives us how many opportunities, right? Daily to be humble. Taking care of your aging parents, that's an a, a, a act of humility. Admitting your need for help. Receiving that help. Consider the needs of others. So many different ways we can demonstrate humility on a daily basis. C.S. Lewis wrote, this great definition. Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. That's an all-time definition, by the way. Uh, it does not mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. So Moses was emptied. Sort of outside forces, but Moses was emptied. Jesus was emptied. We are called to be emptied. And then we're empowered. We're filled up. Now, I'm going to spend about five minutes on this because Pastor Brian next week is going to spend an entire sermon on what it means for God to empower and to equip us for service. But let me just say this. Moses was uniquely empowered by God after he was humbled, right? He was uniquely empowered by God to lead his people out of Egypt. And our text ends by saying, and, 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 and you know, one of the things we talked about the first week was that God doesn't show up in Exodus 1 and even most of chapter 2 until this very end. But the text ends by saying that God heard the groans of his people. He remembered his covenant with them and looked upon them with compassion. We'll learn as the story unfolds in a very dramatic way that God used Moses to be the flesh and bones of his concern for his people and to work this sense of, of deliverance in their lives. And so in a very priestly way, Moses mediated the concern and power of God for his people. We know that Jesus was full of the Spirit and power. And yes, we empty ourselves of, well, self-centeredness. And as we empty ourselves, God begins to empower us by his grace. God begins to fill us by his grace. 
And He enables us to be healed and whole. He enables us to be hopeful in the work of God. He enables us to be happy with the things of God, which enables us to to embrace humility. Happy with the things of God. In other words, we crave impact for Christ over impressing others. We desire reconciliation in relationships instead of being a wrecking ball. We seek to store up treasures in earth rather than collecting uh, treasures in heaven rather than collecting trinkets on earth. That's humility. And we humble ourselves. As we humble ourselves, God empowers us for His work and for His mission and to live into His peace. And what I want us to see, and again, Pastor Brian will will focus on this a great deal, is that sometimes God uses the hardship in our lives to begin to prepare us for how He's going to use us. You know, Moses was spoken to on the far side of the desert. Moses was in the desert. Moses was in Midian. And as we'll learn, he was spoken to by God on the far side of the desert. Hear a word of encouragement this morning. You might be in a hard place right now. You might be on the far side of the desert, but that might be where God begins to call you and empower you for service. A good friend of mine in my previous congregation experienced incredible heartache. His wife died in, uh, during surgery, uh, unexpectedly. And as you can imagine, he was just grief-stricken. And it was a very, very difficult time. And in this time, he reached out to a ministry called Grief Share. And he was, God used that ministry to, to put him back together, to heal him. And then he went on to, to champion the ministry of Grief Share in our congregation in Richmond, and then to become a leader of a group. And I thought, wow, when he was on the far side of the desert, when he was in that very difficult place, God started to to fill him up and empower him and to use him in a magnificent way. So we're emptied. We're poured out. We're empowered. God fills us up with his grace. And then we are exalted, lifted up. As a leader, Moses was eventually exalted. It took some time. But, you know, you may remember the story from the Gospels in one of those incredible moments in the life of Jesus called the Transfiguration. Jesus was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Then all of a sudden, the glory of God started to to rest on Jesus. And there with Jesus was Elijah and Moses. Incredible moment for Jesus. What I want us to see is what an incredible moment for Moses. That he got to bear witness to that moment for the Savior of the world. Moses was eventually exalted. And although Jesus was humbled on the cross, God raised him. And he sits at the right hand of God now. And this promise is also for us, his disciples, That as we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. The warning from the Bible is those who exalt themselves, those who consider themselves better than others, will be humbled. You know, one way to look at it is that we're going to go to that place of humility, either on this side of eternity or on the other side of eternity. But those who insist on living by lifting themselves up over others, they will 
be humbled. But those who humble themselves, the promise is they will be lifted up. They will be exalted. And we will experience the fellowship and the peace and the love in the presence of God for all eternity. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And then this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Emptied, empowered, exalted. Moses started in the palace and was humbled. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, that is exactly when God works in a powerful way. Downward mobility. Let's pray for the grace to be humbled. You know, it's interesting. I share with you guys um, often that when I'm preparing for a message that I often start hearing praise songs and hymns and, and, and the Lord just draws them into my life. Well, this week, I don't know if it's the Lord or not. It wasn't Amazon Echo because I didn't hear it. But another song from 1980 came back to me. And there was an old song by, I think it's named Mac Davis, Lord, it's hard to be humbled. When you're perfect in every way, blah, 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 blah. I won't go the rest of it. It's hard. <laughs> we need the grace and the power of God at work. And the promise is if we open our lives to him. Yes, we can live lives that are humbled, but we can also live lives that are empowered and ultimately in his due time, lifted up. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Come on up. Lord God, thank you so much for this lesson in the life of Moses. This sort of prelude to the way you've worked in his life. Lord, it is hard to be humble. Lord, we know that, that, the, the, that our nature, the fleshly nature in us, in us begins to assert self. And yet you want us to lay down ourselves for your sake so that you can fill us and use us for your work. And Lord, it is indeed humbling to recognize that it is only when we avail ourselves and completely empty ourselves to you and for you, that that is when you do the most work in our lives. So Lord, I pray that, that hearts would be bowed to you today. Lord, if there's anyone in need of, of salvation, I pray that, that they would humble themselves and, and bow their hearts to you and, and welcome you. And Lord, you give grace and power and you fill us with salvation, grace like no other. Lord, I pray for, for those who, who, who sometimes struggle with self, as we all do from time to time, God, that you would remind us that clutching for self and clutching for the things of this world often leave us empty, God. So help us to trust you to fill us, to trust you to lift us up. God, we thank you we pray for the grace to be humble. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hank is going to lead us in a closing song, and then Brian will come and share uh, our highlights and benediction.
Amen. Thank you, Pastor Phil.